Now, the book of Ephesians, it's, it's written by Paul, and he's in the first half of this book. He has talked about God's amazing grace and how God's amazing grace has, has saved us from our sin, how it's taken us from spiritual death to spiritual life by His grace and through our faith, and that having been saved by God, we are to walk in the ways of God. And that, too, is all of grace, that God's grace works in our life, shaping us and molding us into the person that He would have us be so that we can glorify Him. And over the uh, past few weeks, we've been looking at this idea of, of, of submission and authority. And that's something we don't much like to talk about in our society today, that there is a, a hierarchical structure, that there is this uh, submission and authority concept that is laid out in the scriptures, uh, whether it's in the homes between husband and wife or in the homes between parents and children. Or uh, if, if it's even has to do with, with slaves and masters. And that's what he's talking about today as we look into verses 5 through 9. Paul is talking about the relationship and the submission and authority between slaves and masters. And so we're going to go ahead and read that real fast and ask the Lord's help as we dive into this passage this morning. So looking there, starting in verse 5. Bond servants... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we know that this is your word and we believe it is true. We believe that there is no error and no falsehood, that your word is sufficient for all things. And so, Father, we ask now that as we look at your word, that you will give us understanding of it that you will use your word to shape us and mold us and more into the image of Christ, that our faith would be strengthened, and, Father, that our, our minds would be transformed by renewal through your Spirit in accordance with your word. Father, we ask now that you would show us in this passage how we can glorify you in everything that we do. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. And so we always get a little, a little. I don't know if the word's gun shy. Whenever we start talking about slaves and masters, given our our history uh, in in this country, and one of the awkward things about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't actually condemn slavery itself. So that's always a little little awkward because we're like, well, we know slavery is like not a good thing, and I would agree. The way it was practiced in the Americas was not a good thing. In fact, I. A lot of that would be considered man-stealing, which is actually forbidden in the Bible, man-stealing. And so we need to understand when we first start talking about slavery and, and this idea of bond servants and masters, like you see there in verse 5, bond servants, um, that would be a, a, good, a good way of translating that word because the word that's there really means slave. But the idea of slavery in the Roman Empire and the slavery that was practiced in the Americas, it looked quite different. 
Uh, in the Roman Empire, there were these bond servants that would set not sort of like kind of sell themselves, contract themselves out to these uh, property owners and landowners and such that would provide for them and take care of them as they worked and performed their task. And a lot of times the slaves in the Roman culture, they would take the social class of their masters. And so they were not usually viewed with contempt or anything like that. They were usually treated quite well. And the interesting thing is, is as Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire, slavery decreased. And so more slaves were being set free as slavery, as Christianity increased throughout the Roman Empire. And so we need to understand there is a, a pretty big difference between the, the slavery that was practiced in the Americas and the uh, slavery that was practiced in the Roman Empire. And so with that in mind, we're going we're gonna to take a look at this passage and he is talking here, talking to slaves and masters, bond servants and, and masters, servants, and those that are in charge of the servants. And he's talking to them once again about submission, this idea of submitting to the masters and the masters treating their, their slaves, their bond servants with, with kindness and with mercy. And now, like we said, our society today, we, we, don't, we don't have slaves. Uh, at least we don't have legal slaves. There are people that are trafficked through around the world, and that is such an evil thing. But in our society, we do not actually have slaves like then. So how in the world could we talk about this and it be applicable to us today? And I believe that as we look at this passage, we're going to understand that, that the principles that are in this passage really are going to help us see how we can glorify God in everything that we do, in our vocations. And a vocation is simply whatever you do from day to day. So if you're retired, that's your vocation. Whatever you do during your day as a retired person, that is your vocation. Uh, if you are a nurse, then that is your vocation. If you work in the medical field, that is your vocation. That is what you do every day. If you work at a school, that is what you do every day. If you're a student, guess what? Your vocation is to be a student. It's what you do every single day. And the Bible indicates to us that we are to do everything to the glory of God. That, that is really our purpose in life, is to glorify God in all things. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that would include what we do from day to day. And so while we do not have bond servants and masters in our context... We do have people that are in authority over us. We do have jobs. And I know that's not the exact same thing at all, but we can use the principles here and apply that to our vocations, to what we do during the day and to our jobs and our employers and things like that. We can see how we are to relate to our superiors, those that have authority over us, and how, if you have authority over anyone, influence over anyone, how you are to relate to them in a way that honors God and glorifies God. And so Paul in this passage really writes about glorifying God in your relationship with those in authority over you and glorifying God in your relationship with those that you have authority over. So how can we glorify God? How can we glorify God in our vocations, in what we do from day to day? And as we look at this passage, we're really going to see these three different actions that we can take as Christians 
that we can glorify God in everything that we do from day to day. Uh, one of those things we see there at the very beginning. Uh, notice there in verse 5, it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with, sincere, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And what we see in, in that verse is that you can glorify God in your vocation by respecting your God-ordained authority. By respecting your God-ordained authority. As Christians, we, we all have someone who is in authority over us, and that person is Christ. First and foremost, Christ is the one who has authority over us. And then if you are a child, then you have your parents. They are in authority over you. If you go to school, your school teachers and the administration, they are in authority over you. If you are an employee, you have a supervisor. You have a boss. If you are the boss, guess what? There's still someone who's over you too. And so we as Christians, we're called to respect and to submit and obey our earthly masters. It's pretty pretty. Self-explanatory there. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. The idea of fear and trembling is just simply respect. It's reverence, having respect toward them. And what that might look like, it might look like when uh, those that are in authority over you ask you to do something, it, it might look like you're not grumbling about it. And I know that sometimes people who are in charge ask you to do dumb things. You think that there's an easier way and a better way to do it. Trust me, we've all been there. But as Christians, we're called, as much as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone and to respect those that are in authority over us. If they ask us to do something, we as Christians should not be known as the rebels, but we should be known as those who listen to those that have authority over us. Because when we submit to those who have authority over us, what we're actually doing is submitting to Christ. It's not saying that those that have authority over us are Christ. They are not. They're not our Savior. They're not our God. No, when we submit to our earthly authorities, what we're saying is that we have a respect for God-given authority. It is a way we can worship God and glorify God even in the ordinary, everyday things of life. And so, friends, do you listen to your boss? Do you grumble when your parents ask you to do something? Do you get frustrated when your teacher hands you yet another assignment? As Christians, we're called to respectfully obey those that God has put in authority over us. And by doing so, we can glorify God. And so that's one way that we can glorify God in our vocation is by respecting those that God has put in authority over us. Uh, but another way that we see in this passage is that you can glorify God in what you do in your vocation by pursuing excellence, by pursuing excellence, giving it your very best. Uh, no one expects, well, some people expect perfections and they just need to lower their standard because perfection is never going to happen this side of heaven. We're never going to have perfection. But each of us, we can pursue excellence. We can give it our best. We can give 100%. You may be like, well, this just sounds like a motivation to, to go and work hard. And in a way it is, but you need to understand that's what God expects us to do. Look here in, in verse 6. Notice what it says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God 
from the heart. And so we see there that last phrase, doing the will of God from the heart. So it is God's will that we work. Um, Work is not something that is a result of the fall. In fact, work existed before the fall of man. Before sin entered into the world, work existed. No wonder people don't want to work today. Because that's just a revelation of the sin that is in their heart. If you're an able body and you just don't want to work, you want to play video games all day, you're in rebellion against God. Get up, work, follow Christ. It's part of what God expects, that we would do the will of God from the heart, that we would work. Adam, when he was created, was told to tend, keep, and protect the garden. That was before sin came into the world. But now that sin has come into the world, Adam was told that it is by the sweat of his brow that he will eat. That as he works, work now became hard and a struggle. And so work in and of itself is not an evil thing. It's a good thing that God expects for us. But because of the fall, it now is a toil. It is now not just work, it is a job and sometimes we don't want to do it. But as Christians, we are called when we work to give it our very best. Notice how he says there in verse six, not by way of eye service. You've seen the people and maybe you've been the people that you're, you just are kind of going slow and whenever the right person comes around, you go and pick up a broom and start sweeping so it doesn't look like you're just riding the clock and you're kind of sitting there, you're, you're going and you're just going at a slow, steady pace because you really don't want to put forth more, more effort. You just want to get enough done that you don't get fired. As Christians, we're called not to do that. That's eye service. That's people pleasing. We're called to give it our very best because the opposite of eye service, seeking to just please people, is to give it our best knowing that that is how we are worshiping God in our work. The idea of this, this people pleasing there is Galatians 1 verse 10. Uh, he's addressing these false teachers that have crept into the church in Galatia, Paul is, and how these people were, were twisting the word of God in order to try to gain the approval of man, in order to, to try to get it where more people liked them and liked what they had to say. And so in Galatians 1 verse 10, he addresses that. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? In other words, you can't do both. You cannot seek man's approval and also try to seek God's approval. You have to choose which one because you can only have one master. Either people are your master or God is your master. You can only have one master. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So how does that relate in this context? Because the same is true. If we are trying to please man, then we're not a servant of Christ. And so in the context of our jobs, if we are doing just enough to get by, just enough to please those that are in authority over us so we don't get fired or we don't get in trouble, then we're not really trying to serve Christ. We're trying to serve one, our own selves, and we're trying to serve our bosses in the sense of we just want them to think good of us. But as Christians, we're called to do the opposite of eye service. We're called to work diligently as unto the Lord. And we think of what the Lord has done for us. What has he done for us? He created us. He sustains us. He gives us life. He's the reason we're all here today. And even if you are one of those people who suppress the truth about God and you do not believe in a God, 
Did you know that God is still blessing you by letting your heart beat? The fact that you have breath in your lungs is a gift from God. And so God even takes care of those who hate him because he is that good and that loving of a God. But what else did he do? Well, we as people, we have rebelled against God. And because of that, we're separated from God. But God took the first step and he made a plan so that we would no longer be separated from him. In Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, we read all about that plan. How before the foundations of the world, God chose us in Him to be holy and blameless. That in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That in Christ, we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so what has Christ done? Knowing good and well all the sins we would ever commit, full and well all the ways we would sin and rebel against Him, decided to go to the cross and bear our sin and bear the wrath of God for us anyway. He did all of that for us. And how can we receive all of that from Christ without being motivated to give all that we are to Christ? As Christians, we can glorify God in everything that we do, and we are called to do just that. We do that by respecting those that God has put in authority over us. We do that by, by pursuing excellence in everything that we do. Uh, as Christians, we should be known for having the best work ethic. We should be known for having the best craftsmanship because we are those that God has saved and given a purpose in life of not just getting by, but of bringing glory to God in all that we do. And the third way that we can glorify God in the things that we do from day to day in our vocations is by acknowledging that you are ultimately serving Christ. That no matter what you're doing during your day, you are serving Christ. You're glorifying God in what you do. Notice here in several places in this passage, it it refers to the bond servants submitting to their masters because of who they are in Christ and the masters treating the bond servants with respect because of what Christ has done. Notice there, bond servants, is verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters do the same to them. Stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. So over and above throughout all of this, we see that Paul is making the point Whatever you're doing, do it as you would to Christ, as a bondservant of Christ, knowing that your master is in heaven. So everything we do, we are to do as Christians to the glory of God. And we see that uh, illustrated there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Everything that we do as Christians, we are called to do for the glory of God. That is our purpose in life, to glorify God in all things, to enjoy God in all things. And so if you're in sports, how, how, how in the world can you glorify God in sports? By giving it your best. By doing your best and giving all the credit to God. If you're in the classroom and you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking about this, how, how can I do this to the glory of God? By giving it your best. By doing your best. Doesn't mean you're going to get perfect scores all the time. That's not necessarily what doing your best is. It's literally doing the best that you can at that time. Whatever that is for you. If you're a parent and you're trying to raise your kids, what does it mean to glorify God there? Well, you probably guessed it by now. By doing your best. To raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord like we talked about last week if you were with us. So whatever it is that you do, we do it remembering that we are ultimately serving Christ. The ordinary, everyday things of life for a Christian are acts of worship where we acknowledge that we are serving God. When you pack your kids' lunch, when you change your kids' diaper, when you call your son or your daughter on the phone that you haven't talked to in a while, when you go to work, when you make your bed, when you cook, when you clean, when you do all those ordinary things, realizing that it is God who gives you the ability to do those things, and you're giving it your very best, and you acknowledge that God is the one that's helped you and given you these things, you can bring honor to God and glory to God in all that you do. And so as Christians, we're, we're called to glorify God in every thing. We're called to glorify God in where we work. We're called to glorify God in our homes. We're called to glorify God out in the community. And we've seen here that that is possible by remembering that when we are doing all these things, it is Christ ultimately who we are serving. So we're called to glorify God in all that we do during the day. And you can do that by respecting those that have authority over you. You can do that by striving for excellence in your work and by acknowledging that you are ultimately serving your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge you this morning with three prayers that you can pray uh, starting today and, and in the mornings that follow for the next week. When you get up in the morning before you start your day, I'm going to encourage you to, to pray this. Father, ask God, Father, how can I glorify you in my work today? Father, is there somebody I can speak to today about the gospel? Father, keep me from temptation today. Ask those three things. Pray those three things throughout the day. And that's going to that's gonna help get your mind focused on glorifying God in everything you do. Those three prayer prompts again. Father, how can I glorify you today? Is there somebody I can share the good news of Jesus with today? And Father, keep me from temptation today. Those three prayer prompts. And they're going to help you to have the mindset that you need to glorify God in everything that you do during the day and remembering that we are to submit to those that God's given authority over us, pursue excellence in all we do and acknowledge that in everything we do, we are ultimately serving Christ. 
the one who lived for us, the one who died for us, and the one who lives forevermore with us and for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that you have given us your word. And Father, that we have a purpose in life that is bigger than ourselves. And that purpose is to bring glory to your name and to help others do the same. And so, Father, as we go through our life, would you help us to uh, respect those that you have put in authority over us, even when they can be jerks, even when it might be hard to do so, Father? Would you give us uh, the love that you have shown us? Would you help us to love others that way that we can forgive and respect, even if people are, are rude? Father, would you help us to glorify you also by, by giving it our best in everything that we do, by seeking to, to show your greatness in our work. And at all times, help us to remember that you are the one that we are ultimately serving. Father, grow our faith. Help us to trust you more and more each day that we might live a life that brings honor and glory to your name. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.